um, growing up during my uh, entire childhood till many years after I left off to college, uh, my father was a preacher. So what I do, he did. Every week, every Sunday, he was out preaching. And I, I have some very fond memories about my childhood, about growing up, about church um, in particular. But um, one of the things that I remember most about my childhood was that my father was not often around. He, he was always uh, with other families, with other people. Sometimes there was tragedy they were dealing with. Sometimes it was something else, um, just counseling or uh, working on his message or whatever. But he was often gone and away. And so when I started preaching, uh, my first church in 1997, I think it was, um, I, I remember telling the team of people that were interviewing me that I had this conviction that if I became a, a, a let's just say, a good preacher uh, in this town, and um, that, that through that preaching and teaching, the whole town was able to come to Jesus, but my children were lost, or, or they didn't have a connection with Jesus. They weren't followers, or they'd rejected him because of me being gone all the time. Then I would consider not just my ministry of a failure, um, or as a father, but really as a follower of Jesus. That, that if I was able to help save everybody else in town, but I lost my kids, then, um, then, then I would just not be a very good uh, follower of Jesus. I, I think as, as parents, um, helping our children understand faith and, and learning to trust God is, is really our number one ministry when we talk about other people. Uh, and, and we should make sure that, that they grow up in, in the faith. Uh, like every child, I, I think, each and every one of us, if we went around the room today, or maybe you can think of stories uh, sitting on your couch watching with us this morning, um, I, I think there are things that I learned from my parents that I wanted to copy as I became an adult and, and, and had kids of my own. But there were also things that I recognized if I wanted to have a healthy relationship or a, a family and kids who love Jesus, there were things that I was going to need to change. For some people in that situation, growing up in the household with uh, hang-ups and habits, um, there are, there are good things that we want to copy, and they outweigh the, the, the bad things that we're trying to change, you know, the generational-type curses that we have. But I think for other people, the, the negative feelings and emotions associated with their childhood and, and growing up were just so damaging that it's, it's difficult to even remember anything good, let alone um, feel like you can attain better in your own life. And I think for some, certainly, the sins of the fathers have been passed down to their children. It was roughly 1,400 years before Jesus was born that, that God revealed himself to the Israelites by rescuing them from their slavery in Egypt. Now, Israel at the time wasn't even a, a nation. <laughs> they, they weren't recognized as a nation. They, they were simply just one more in a long list of uh, oppressed and marginalized 
people groups. The, the, the people of Egypt looked at the, the people of Israel as um, subhuman. And, and so to force them to work, to even kill them because, um, you know, they, they offended you or something, it, it was not only acceptable, it was almost encouraged, okay? That was kind of the relationship um, that they had. And yet in the, in the midst of this um, oppression and, and persecution by Egypt on uh, the, the Israelites, God shows up in the midst of that. And, and maybe you remember the story from VBS or Kids Church or, or whatever. Um, God shows up in, in a really powerful way, uh, and it coincides with Moses coming back to, to, uh, to Egypt. And, and, and God displays this in, incredible um, power and, and, and might and, and ability to Egypt, and, and, and God does it in a really, really interesting way. And for, for most of us, we read the story uh, of, of, of God and, and Israel and Egypt, and, and we just kind of read through all those 10 plagues. And maybe you remember some of those 10 plagues. There were, the Nile turned to blood, and there were frogs, there were uh, gnats, there was uh, hailstones. It's a whole bunch of things. Um, and for us, I think we just kind of read down through that list and we're just like, oh, that's interesting or like gross, that, that would be disgusting, whatever. But if you were an Egyptian and you were living through those 10 plagues from God, th there would be something very clear in your mind that, that whatever God was, was orchestrating these plagues, he was the, not just a God, he was the God. Because all of the plagues that God brought on Egypt directly coincided with the false gods that the Egyptians worshipped. The, 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 they had a god that looked like a, a frog and um, all, all these things. And so uh, God's plagues on Egypt were specifically tailored to uh, affect Egypt in a very powerful way, in a way that really would kind of rock them to their core because all of these gods that they had worshipped for thousands of years uh, turn out to be not gods at all in comparison to the God of the Hebrew people. And so the climax of this story is God is miraculously rescuing Israel from, from Egypt happens at the shores of uh, the Gulf of Aqaba. It's the right uh, wing of the, uh, of the Black Sea as it comes up into, into Egypt and then what is now uh, towards Saudi Arabia, Turkey, those things. Um, and and, and the, the climax comes at the shores of the Gulf of Aqaba as, as the Israelites are, are there at the, at the water and Israel's or Egypt's incredible military strength, military machine was bearing down on the Israelites and they didn't know what to do. Um, they, they, they believed they were going to be killed in the sand there on the shore. And, and yet God works this incredible miracle. After the 10 plagues on, on Egypt, he parts the waters of the Gulf of Aqaba. The Israelites walk down on dry land and they come to the other side. And then, of course, as, as Egypt proudly thinks that they're going to go through these walls of water that they've never seen before either, uh, even after the 10 plagues, God shows them why he's God. And, and the military might of, of Egypt is, is just decimated. Now, the other interesting thing about this process of God bringing Israel out of Egypt is that um, from the time they left Egypt, once the, 
the, um, the firstborn child of every house dies that night if they didn't trust God and put the blood on the doorposts. Um, beginning that night, God led Israel out of Egypt, down the Sinai Peninsula and up the eastern side, um, by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at, at night. And maybe you've heard that um, story. And I think sometimes we don't understand the scale of what was going on. That there was maybe as many as, I've seen estimates like four or five, maybe six million people who followed Moses and the Israelites out of, of Egypt. So this is a huge, huge group of people. And the pillar of cloud and, and fire was to give the people of Israel comfort knowing that God's presence was, was there. And so for that many millions of people to see the pillar of fire and cloud, it would have to stretch miles into the sky. So this, this was not a, a, a building-sized uh, pillar of fire or, or, or cloud. This, this was huge. This was like, if it showed up today, if the, if the pillar of, of fire appeared tonight near El Dorado, anywhere near El Dorado, we would all, um, well, I could be really crass, but let me just say, we would all be freaked out, right? If a, if a pillar of fire miles high appeared around El Dorado, we would all, we would all just freak out. We, we would uh, lose it. The uh, internet and the cell phone grid would just collapse because everybody would be trying to take pictures and video and post it and all this kind of stuff. It would freak us all out. And so this is how God leads the people out of, of Egypt. He was present and purposeful as he moved the people from Egypt into the desert in order for them to take possession of this land that God had promised their ancestor Abraham. And so God's plan was to bring Israel out of Egypt, to bring them across the Gulf of Aqaba and into the, the desert and there he would um, spend about a year. So from leaving Egypt until this plan was to take place was going to be around 18 months or so. And God wanted to um, reveal himself to Israel at Mount Sinai, which, which he did. And then he was going to move them from Mount Sinai to a town called Kadesh Barnea. And from there, they were going to use that as kind of the beachhead where they would uh, go into the promised land and begin to take possession of it. Um, that was God's, God's plan, 18 months. And, and I don't know about, about you, but I, uh, I am not a waiter kind of, kind of person. I don't, I don't enjoy waiting. I want to uh, make a decision and then and then make a move, right? I don't like that in-between time that we often find ourselves in. I, I want to like, let's make the next decision so we can get after it and get it done. And so this was God's plan pretty quickly, and, and yet that um, didn't happen. Instead of the 18 months that God had planned, it took the people of Israel 40 years of backpacking through the desert before they would step foot into the land that God had promised their father Abraham. And you can read about the difficult conditions of their uh, slavery um, and God's miraculous rescue. You can read about that in the book of Exodus. So if, in, your, in your Bible or in your uh, phone app, 
uh, it goes Genesis, Exodus, and Exodus is the story of God delivering Israel out of, out of Egypt. It's the second major heading in your Bible, so the second book we, we typically call it. And then in uh, the third one, in Leviticus, God reveals himself to Israel in even more ways. And, and there's um, specific things that are going on as he revealed himself to this people in ways that he had never opened himself up or revealed himself to anybody uh, before them. At Mount Sinai in particular, where he gave them the laws that would govern Israel's, um, not just their spiritual life, but would govern their political life as well, their relational um, lives as well. And, and, and the laws that God gave Israel were designed to separate them from all the other people groups um, in the world. And so that's uh, Leviticus, the third book. Then in the fourth uh, book in your Bible, Numbers, they take a census in the very beginning. They've got to count all these people who have come up out of, of Egypt. And in, in Numbers, we see more of God's faithfulness and we see more of the people's failures. As they wander through the desert, there's more and more and more of these opportunities for them to trust God, and, and yet they don't. And, and then it's this kind of this terrible thing blows up and the people grumble and they're mad and they're upset. And we're going to talk about a little bit of that today. Um, and then God kind of shows up, but then he's angry with them for not trusting him because he's like, look, yesterday I did this for you and it was uh, this miracle and I rescued you. And today you're complaining about something else. It's like, he's like, just throws his hands up. We're like, what is it with you guys? I can't do anything right for you. Okay. That's kind of this um, relationship. Uh, and, and so we go through the end of, of Numbers. At the end of Numbers, the people of Israel, after 40 years of wandering in, in the desert, uh, through the desert without a home, they're about to cross the Jordan River and, and begin finally to take possession of the, the promised land. So, so what God had wanted to do 40 years before, they're, they're finally at a, at a place where they're ready uh, to do that. And that leads us into um, Deuteronomy. The Israelites are on the east side of the Jordan River. They're preparing to cross the Jordan, go into Jericho first, and, 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 and fight for that uh, city. And so what happens is Moses has been told already that he isn't going to be allowed to cross the Jordan, that he's going to die with all the other people, and we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, before he gets into the promised land. And so uh, uh, Moses is preparing for his death. The people are preparing to, to cross the Jordan and go in to do uh, a battle. But before um, Moses dies, before they take this next step, Moses kind of sets all of the people down. And he begins to uh, recount the events of the last 40 years. And, and so you can, you can see this. We do this at different points in, in our lives where there's um, a tragedy or difficulty or something, diagnosis that pops up, and we kind of sit down and we evaluate things, right? Like, how's it been going? What, what do we need to change? What do we need to do? What do we need to keep doing? Those kind of things. And so um, Moses sits down, and, and he recounts the last 40 years uh, of, of what's been going on for the people of Israel if they've wandered through the desert. And that's, and that's what Deuteronomy really is. It's a reissue or a restatement of the covenant that God established with Israel at Mount Sinai 40 years before to a brand new generation of uh, Israelites. 
And so Moses is now standing before the children and the grandchildren of those people that God had led out of slavery. So the children and grandchildren, first and second generation, from the people who were present when, uh, when the Nile turned to blood. And they were present when the sky turned black in Egypt, but the sun was shining in Goshen. They were, they were present the night that they sat in their homes and they prayed and they worshiped with the blood of the lamb over the doorpost and down the, the lintels, um, protecting the people inside uh, from the death of the firstborn that is going to come. And, and so um, this whole process, Moses is kind of reissuing, retelling this, uh, this story. And so um, we're going to jump into it in Deuteronomy chapter 1 uh, today. Um, the first five verses of Deuteronomy chapter 1 are kind of like an um, uh, introduction to, um, to the book. And, and we kind of lay out what's going to happen next. And so the people have been um, camped at, at Mount Sinai for a year. This is where Moses begins the, the story. They've been camped at Mount Sinai for a full year. But, but God has told Moses that it, it's time to move on, right? It's time to take the next step. It's time to move on towards Kadesh Barnea and begin taking possession of uh, the promised land uh, at that town. And he reminds them that this God that is leading them to, to Kadesh and leading them to take the promised land is the same God who delivered them over and over since they left Egypt. He's the same God that's now saying, okay, um, just like I told you to put the blood on your doorpost, just like I told you to get ready to leave Egypt on this particular night, just like I told you all of these things, now I'm telling you to go to Kadesh Barnea and begin to take possession of the, of the promised land. And so the people are, are really eager, right? Um, like a, a, a year before this, when God showed up at Mount Sinai, he spoke to all the people of Israel. Um, uh, this is an interesting thing that I didn't catch for many, many years. In fact, just in the last few years, did I, did I really see what was going on there? Moses, we always think of Moses going up the mountain. Moses talked to God. He brought the Ten Commandments down and gave them to the people. But the very first day that God revealed himself to Israel, if you go back and read that story in Exodus at Mount Sinai, the very first day, Moses had consecrated the people for three days, and when God was going to reveal himself, he brought the entire nation of, of Israel, millions of people, to the foot of this, of this mountain, and God descended on the mountain in the cloud and the, and the fire and the lightning and the thunder. Remember Revelation study that happened like six or seven times? That's the picture. And the whole top of this mountain was engulfed in this, like, just this inferno. It was, it was terrifying. And God spoke to all of the Israelite people. They listened to what he had to say. And if you read carefully, you see that at the end of the day, they tell Moses, um, look, we can't handle this. this. This is too much. This is too scary. It, we, we cannot listen to God anymore. And so they said, here's what we want to do. Moses, you go up the mountain and talk to God. Because um, if you die, eh. but we're going to stay down here, right? And so they selected Moses as their representative to, to go up into this scary cloud and, and, and talk to God. Of course, it works out really good for Moses, um, not so good for the people. 
That is what they're coming out of. That happened a year ago. And now God is the same God that showed up and covered the mountain is now saying, okay, Israel, I want you to go and to Kadesh Barnea and, and, and start off. And everything went great when they began. But once the people got to Kadesh Barnea, they aren't so sure about just walking through the front door and telling this nation that they've never really seen and they don't really know anything about to, to get out, you know, like to take a hike. Um, that's just not something most nations in that day took very kindly to. And, and so they, they were pretty sure there was going to be uh, a fight. And so um, here's what happens. Uh, then all of you, uh, Moses is retelling this story. Then uh, all of you, your parents, came to me and said, let us send men before us. And remember, that's what they did with Moses at Mount Sinai. Moses, you go up. Now, now they're saying, hey, let's just uh, get a few guys and send them up into the, the promised land so that they can explore the land for us and then bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. That kind of makes sense, right? Like they've never been there before. For 250 years, they've been making bricks uh, and tending sheep, and that's about it. So they don't know anything. These are not military people. So why don't you go up and look at the cities, check out the people, the terrain. You come back and tell us what it's like and, and, and give us your assessment of what's going on. And Moses said, ah, that sounds pretty good, which was probably not wise on his part. Uh, anyway, so he took 12 men from them, and he sent them up into uh, the promised land. And they went up the hill country, they came to the valley of Eskol, and they spied it out. And they took into their hands some of the fruit of the land, and they brought it down to the rest of Israel, um, and brought us word saying, it's a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Now, as, as, as we read that, it, it kind of makes sense, right? Like, I, I'm, like I have this thing about uh, driving or going to places and, and cities, especially bigger cities that I've never been to before. I, I do, I just do not like it. So it's a, it gets tense in our car sometimes because Andrea is the navigator and, and sometimes when Andrea navigates, we miss uh, turns and things. And I mean, I'm not saying it's her, I'm just saying she was navigating. So that's the way it is, right? And, and so what's happened is she eventually, she just like throws her phone at me and she goes, that's it, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and so I, I get tense, right? I get nervous, anxious about those things. And, and so like, this sounds like a good idea. Well, look, you guys go up and see what it's like and come back down so that when the rest of us go up, you, you can point out, like, don't step there and turn at the rock and, and whatever, and, and we'll get up there. It'll be okay. Um, ju just remember, though, again, that Israel did not free themselves from slavery. They did not uh, turn the water uh, two different times, turn the water in the desert that was unfit to drink into drinkable water. They are not the ones who gave God the commands at, at Mount Sinai. Uh, they did not conjure up the manna that fed millions of people while they followed the pillar of fire and, and cloud uh, around the desert. They did not um, come up with the idea to hit the rock at Horeb um, and expect water to pour out of it and become a river that, that would provide water for the people of Israel and their animals for 40 years while they wandered in the, in the desert. Um, none of that uh, came from them. Uh, 
but now, as they stand at Kadesh Barnea and they're getting ready to go take possession of this promised land, knowing that it's going to be a fight, they start having these ideas. <laughs> they, they start going, oh, well, wait a minute, God. Uh, I don't know if we want to do that. Like, like, maybe there's another way, and maybe we should just be prepared uh, for this. And so the 12 guys go up. They find that the land is rich for crops and, and herds, um, but they also saw m- men of war, like standing military men. And, and they saw men that are, like, from the family of Goliath. So they're, they're really tall, big, strong guys. Um, and the Israelites have been slaves for more than 200 years. They are not fighters, Although they have men of fighting in age, but they don't really, the Israel, they've never trained to do this before. And so instead of trusting the God who delivered them out of Egypt and brought them through the water and provided the food and the water and all of these things for them, instead of trusting him, they trust the spies who, who say that the nations are, are too strong. So look at this. Uh, Yes, yet you would not go up, Moses says. God told you to go up, but you wouldn't do it. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You murmured in your tent. So they just didn't say, no, we're not going to go up. They begin to complain in their tents. And they say, God hated us. That's why he went to the trouble to rescue us from Egypt by very powerful and mighty acts and bring us through the waters, this gulf of of Aqabah, and and stand us before him at the mountain and make a covenant with us, uh, reissuing the covenant that he'd made with Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob. And God went to all this trouble just to bring us into the hands of the Amorites so that we could all die. Now, that's pretty elaborate, right? Um, it, it, and it's, it's weird. Like we look at it and you go, why would God, why, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why would God do that? Why would God rescue you and bring you to this place and reveal himself to you and give you all these laws and rules and this covenant relationship that he has with you that he has with no other nation in the world just to bring you into desert and kill you at the hands of somebody else? That just um, seems really weird to me. And so Moses is reminding the people of the failures of their families, that instead of trusting God to provide for them like he had been doing for the past year, they trust their friends. And so they refuse to follow God into the promised land. And and really, that makes God mad, (laughs) you know? And, And like, I'd be mad too if I were him and I had just done all these things for these people. Um... And so I I think it's, it is natural for us to seek the opinions of others. But here's the the point I want to make. Uh, Opinions should never keep you from uh, obedience. You you can seek the opinions of of, of other people about things and, and about spiritual things. And I think it's good for us to ask questions and ask advice of people who are, who are wise, people who we trust the opinions of. Um, But we have to be really careful about this because if you're getting um, advice or opinions from someone who who doesn't know the Bible or isn't a follower of of Jesus, that they they cannot give you godly advice. And so I think think it's a a struggle sometimes um, for us 
Because we want to get advice about our life. We want to talk to people about what we might do. But as followers of Jesus, we should seek out people who we, we believe are living the kind of life that we think reflects Jesus. Um, or or mar- maybe that they, that they have a strong marriage. And so we're going to go to them for marriage advice or if we have a struggle or a problem or, or whatever. And I think, unfortunately, in our lives today, so many Christians, we, we seek the advice of our friends and family who are not followers of, of Jesus, and that's just going to get us in, into trouble, because opinions should never keep you from obedience. And so if, if, if you feel very strongly that God is, is leading you to something or calling you to something, don't let people talk you out of that, especially if those people are not believers, because if you go to a non-believer for something that you think God is calling you to do, maybe it's a financial thing, and it's a step that, you, that it's risky, and you go to somebody else, they might tell you, well, that's uh, stupid. <laughs> for, that, like, it doesn't make any sense. I, like, don't do that. But, but God isn't, a, isn't in the habit of, of taking um, risks that aren't going to pan out. Like, he, he never loses, right? And so if God tells me to give $5,000 to somebody or tells me to do something else, I can always trust that the God who asks me to give can give to me way more. And, and so there's this struggle that we kind of have in, in life. Let's look at this from um, God's perspective for a moment. Think of all that he had done for Israel over the last 18 months. Every time that they complained, he provided. Every time that they were stuck, he made a way for them. He revealed himself to them in, in ways that nobody else had ever seen before. And now, after all of this, they're questioning his ability to do what he's promised to do. I, I think that would make me mad. And so um, this is what God does. In verses 28 to 33 of Deuteronomy, he begins to recount to Moses and then Moses to the people all of the things that he had done for them in the last 18 months, the way that he'd shown up and provided for the people. And, and then he says, because you didn't trust, this is what's going to happen. The Lord heard your words. He was angered and he swore. He didn't swear like you and me. Like he just, God just said this is going to happen and so it's going to happen. Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give your fathers except for Caleb. And there's a reason for that. Um, uh, because he wholly followed uh, the Lord. And so uh, here's what happens. God's like, okay. I've revealed myself to you. I've issued my covenant with you. I've proven myself over and over and over and over and over to you. But if you're not going to be faithful and you're not going to follow me, then not one of you is going to see the promised land that that I'm sending you to. If you are faced with a difficult decision or you believe that God is leading you in a specific direction or to a specific place that you are um, maybe uh, afraid to go, I I want you to remember this. If God did it back then, he can do it again. This is what the people of Israel failed to to realize. If if God showed up in so many powerful ways in in Egypt and and in the desert around Sinai, he will show up again. 
It's why it's important for us as followers of Jesus to remember the ways that God has provided, the ways he's protected, the ways he's positioned us in life, in our past. It's because of those times that he was faithful that then we are able to be more faithful. And, and we're able to say, look, I, I, I remember, I was talking to a couple the, the other day, and, and they were, you know, kind of going back and forth, and, 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 and one of them pointed out, hey, um, remember when COVID hit, and we lost our jobs, and, and we thought life was going to be, like, we didn't think there was going to be a way, like, how are we going to survive this? And, and we ended up uh, making more money with the COVID help than we did working our jobs. And we thought it was going to destroy us financially, but instead we came out better than we, we had been. It's remembering those ways that God has provided in, in, in ways and situations and things that we did not expect that give us the strength, the faithfulness, the ability to step forward again. If, if God did it back then, he can do it again. But I want to get to what happens um, ne next. Uh, the people uh, faced with their own death, right? They say, no, we're not going to trust God and, and go up into the promised land because there's, um, there's mean people up there and we're scared of them. We're not going to do that. And God says, okay, if you're not going to trust me after all you've been through and after how I've proved myself, well, um, all of you generation are, are going to die. Now, I, I, I want you to think about this. It's not, it's not necessarily God going, I hate you and I'm going to kill you. It's God saying, you're going to have to, as your discipline is that you're going to have to wander in the desert for 40 years. That's a difficult life. And, and so this generation of people who made this decision are going to have to wander in the desert 40 years, and you're going to die off in that time. And, and so uh, <laughs> it's uh, like, eh, okay. Um, faced with this discipline from God, like, oh, no, we're all going to die. Uh, they decide, the people decide, well, uh, maybe we were mistaken. Uh, yeah, that's it. We were mistaken, so let's um, go up and take the land anyway. L look what happens in the next verse. Uh, so the people answered, we have, we have sinned against the Lord. Like, oh, no, we're going to die. Like, we always recognize we've sinned w when we face the consequences, right? <laughs> it's before consequences have come out that we have a problem seeing that we've sinned. Can't do anything wrong. So, oh no, we're going to die. We've sinned against the Lord. <coughs> so they say, we ourselves, we ourselves. Okay, God, we didn't do it when you told us to. So we're going to do it on our own now. We're going to go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. There's a big difference between God commanding you to do something and God going with you while you do it. Every one of you, Moses says, fastened on your weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. Now, now remember, even though this is the way Moses is talking, he, he's not saying you personally went up and fought. He's saying you as a nation of people, Israel, your parents went up to fight. Um, now, I'm, I'm pretty sure that this incident right here between God and, and Israel in chapter 1 of Deuteronomy is where the old saying, two wrongs don't make a right, came from. Did you ever hear that when you were growing up? Two wrongs don't make a right. And then you got smart and you said, yeah, but three lefts do. <laughs> okay. Might take a minute. 
you're directionally challenged, but three lefts make a right. Okay. Uh, so the people first didn't trust God to battle for them to take the land, and so they refused to obey his command and, and go up. Now they're facing the consequences of, of their decision um, that showed that they didn't trust God, and so then they're like, we're not going to trust God again. We're not going to listen to what God said again, and so we're going to go up and take the land without him. And so, of course, they fail miserably. Many are killed. It's a bloody defeat. It's a bad way to start off uh, a 40 year stint in in the desert but it gives us something else to um, remember as we follow God and that's this that if God says no you you better not go if God says no I'm just going to warn you right now we don't have to have a big counseling session I'm just going to say if God said not do it don't do it Um, don't do it not because God's trying to keep you from enjoying life or whatever but don't do it because it's always going to lead you away from him or into a worse situation. Our default will always be to trust ourselves and our friends before God. And even though we we know our advice is not always right, and we know that over the past uh, in our history, our friend's advice is usually wrong, we still have a desire to listen to others instead of just being obedient to God. The things we read in his word, just like the Israelite people, we make up excuses and we ask other people, and what do you think about this? And we keep asking until we find somebody who tells us something that we want to hear and just reinforces what we wanted to do anyway. And we always pay the price for that. The the covenant that God made with Israel and, and the covenant he makes with you and I through Jesus is a covenant between unequal partners. And and yet, we always try to take the reins of our lives from God. Our gospel definition here at Real Life ends um, this way, that we can live our real lives through the Holy Spirit's power as we daily surrender to Jesus' reign and wait for his return. The life of a follower of Jesus is marked by faithfulness. And I'm not talking about faithfulness in in coming to church every Sunday. That's not the kind of faithfulness we're talking about. It's the kind of faithfulness where each and every day we're trusting God when he says to move or when he says to stay. We're trusting God in those moments where we're not really sure where to go or, or what to do, but we believe that God is calling us to something specific. And so when God says go, we have to be willing to, to go. And when, when God says no, we have to be willing to, to stop and to wait. Because when we don't go with God, we're always going in the wrong direction. Here's what I've learned um, from my parents about uh, faithfulness. My dad pastored churches for 35 years. I think three churches, uh, maybe four, probably three, in, in 35 years. My whole growing up life. And every time that he moved to a new church, 
he was not seeking to move to a new church. That they always waited on God to tell them when it was time to go or give them direction about where to go. And, and I asked him one time, how, how do you know? <laughs> how do you know when it's time to, to, to go or when God has something else for you or what's going on in, in your life? And they, um, they, they told me this, that, that um, they just had kind of made this covenant with themselves, with God in the very beginning, that if God wanted them to move to another church, somebody would come to them. Somebody would approach them about it, that they would not seek another church to be a part of. And, and so every time that they moved to a different church, and three churches in five years, let me just tell you, that is way above the national average for length of time that a pastor stays at a church. Um, they always knew that God was involved in that because every time somebody showed up, and said, we're interested in you. God has led us to you. I've been preaching for 25 years. 25 years in two different churches. So I've, I've got 10 more years to go to, to reach my dad. Interestingly enough, as I was thinking about this, I was like, that's half my life. Okay. Uh, in those 25 years, I have never looked or applied to another church while I was currently preaching in, in the church I was in. And, and I will just tell you, not that you care, um, in the 25 years, no one has ever come asking for me to, to preach at their church. <laughs> I'm not sure what that says about me. More importantly, I'm not sure what it says about you, because <laughs> you keep coming. Um, uh, but, but here's what we need to know. When we face challenges and, and decisions, this week, some of you are going to face challenges and decisions. As you face those, remember that if, if God did it back then, he can do it again. And so trust him. Trust him to lead you where you need to go. Trust him to, to make a way to open doors, to close doors. And don't just trust him to do that. Invite him into that process. God, I don't want to make a mistake here. I don't want to mess this up. And so give me direction. Give me, give me hope. Give me play. Show me where to go. Show me what to do somehow. And, and then secondly, if, if God says no, don't, do, don't force it. Because <laughs> what we learn from the Israelites is that that never really um, works out for us. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are called to faithfulness, and we can be faithful when we remember this and when we remember this. Fathers knows best. And, and you may not have had a good earthly father or mother, but you have an incredibly good spiritual father who loves you and wants the best for you always will never lead you into something that he will not carry you through. It may be difficult, but he will walk through it with you. And, and he will never keep you from something that will ultimately benefit or bless you. We always pull back the reins of God because we think that what he wants us to do will, will either um, cause problems for us 
or if he's saying no, that it's something that will actually benefit us. But in my experience, that's never the case. If we go when God says no, we're always going in a way opposite of him, and it ends up pulling us away instead of bringing us closer. So everything that God ever does, every place he ever leads you, every place he ever keeps you from going always is to bring you into a, a, a closer, deeper, greater relationship with himself. And so trust God. Remember the times that he's brought you through, that he's provided for you at the last minute, that he's shown up in that situation, maybe through somebody or th through something else. And, and then move in that. Trust him. Because we are called to faithfulness. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us and thank you for all that you give to us. And, and God, thank you that through Jesus, um, we are protected in you. That even when we fail and, and, and we fall and we make mistakes and we go the wrong way and, and, we, and we move when you tell us to stay and we stay when you tell us to go, um, that, that ultimately you love us. And even your discipline is designed to bring us closer to you. So always, everything you do always is for our best. Help us to trust that this week, God. Um, to remember your faithfulness and then to listen and to walk according to your will. Thanks, God, for that. In Jesus' name.